Where to begin on episode 85? First of all, good morning, Greg. Happy Good Easter. morning. You had a great weekend. I did. I bet you did. Did you watch a lot of Sabres games? Did you watch a lot of hockey? I did. Okay. You know, like the Sabres, like... What the, what happened? Save like, that. What's happened to this team? Save that. We'll talk about that. We are definitely going to dive deep into that because uh, that's going to be topic of conversation because um, I think it's more just more than just here in Buffalo. Um, Wayne Gretzky, on this day in history, Wayne Gretzky played his last NHL game. We'll talk about that. Jay McKee coming up, and we're going to talk to him. Uh, what do you know about Jay? Do you know Jay personally? Obviously. How? I didn't like play that? with him. Just, you know, listen, I mean, I, I came to Buffalo. I played against Jay for a long time. And, and, and you know that even though you don't actually play with certain guys, um, you know, you, you know them through playing against them for, for so long. Um, when I got traded to Buffalo, we do those um, captain skates, you know, a month before the season, Joe or, or Jay, you know, he was, he was at every one of those and, you know, got to, got to know each other a little bit more. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I heard he was the ultimate teammate. That's one thing that I've heard from a lot of people. He's the ultimate teammate off the ice, on the ice. You know, he'll do anything it takes to win. He knows his role. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, I mean, he, he kind of, he reminds me kind of a little bit of myself because we have the same mentality in the sense that, you know, I knew that, um, I knew that there was more skilled guys and better players suited for certain things positions on the ice and I was there to try and do what I could do for my team the best I possibly could so our team would have a, a better chance to win. I'm a role player. Yeah. Uh, he I guess, you know, he would probably title himself a role player, but he had a lot more skill than that. Like yourself. I mean, he was a first round pick in the OHL too. He was a first rounder in the NHL. I mean, I saw him play. Jay and I go way back, but I mean, more my brother and Jay, but when I say way back, I mean, I watched Jay play in junior. I remember the night Jay McKee was traded from the Sudbury Wolves to the Niagara Falls Thunder because my brother was on the Thunder and he called my parents at the house at like, I think it was like one in the morning. They had a road game and they, he called home and he said, we just traded Jason Bond senior and Ethan Morrow, they were both first-round picks in the 1994 NHL draft. Jason went yeah. fourth overall, okay? And Ethan went 14th or 15th or 16th, somewhere in there, to Chicago. And they were both on my brother's team his first year in, in the OHL. So they traded Bond Sr. And, and Morrow to the Sudbury Wolves because Sudbury was making a playoff run for defenseman Jay McKee, and another power forward by the name of Chester Gallant. And I think we'll have to ask Jay who else came over in the trade. I can't, I can't remember, but those were the two key pieces. So, I mean, I was, I was uh, 14, 15 years old. I was in grade nine. I went to every single game. I watched Jay play in junior hockey. He and my brother were 
really good friends. They had a, a really good mutual friend, a, a guy by the name of Mike Perna. Um, they were all, they were like a really tight group of buddies. And uh, so I've known Jay, I've known Jay since I was a young kid, right? So then I ended up getting drafted by Buffalo. The draft is in Buffalo. We hang out with McKee after the draft, right? So like, you know, like, and then all of a sudden you come to training camp and, and my first year, he was, he was a guy that took me under his wing. I mean, like he really did. He was, I, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Hey, like he knew my brother, he's friends with my brother and I'm the little brother coming into the NHL, you know, and he just kind of showing me the ropes. So let me tell you a quick story about Jay and then we'll move on to, to some hockey talk. So it's my rookie year in 2003 and I'm on my first road trip. It's like a six game road trip, 13 days out West. Okay. The, the first part of the trip was, I think, I think it was Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver. Then we went to LA, Anaheim, Colorado. Like that was the run that we did. It was, it was unbelievable. Anyway, so we're in Calgary and I, I think we win that night. We are pretty sure we win that game that night and we all go out to this place right near the hotel. Okay. Joey tomatoes. You ever heard of it? I've been there many times. <laughs> so we're at, we're at Joey tomatoes after, after this game, right? This is my first ever road trip in the NHL. Okay. So we're at Joey tomatoes and the whole team's there pretty much. And then it's, it's literally a hundred yards from the hotel. Right. So you know, curfew was at X, you know, we left the bar at like three minutes to X, right? Whatever it was. So we get, actually, we might've not even had curfew. So we were out at probably like two in the morning because this is the part of the story. We get back to our hotel. I go to my room. I can't remember who my roommate was. Jay was roomed with Dom Pittis. Okay. I don't know if you remember Dominic Pittis. Yep. But anyway, so Jay calls my hotel room and he's like, Hey, Hey, let's go back to the bar. This is at three in the morning. Okay. He's like, let's go back to the bar. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, let's, let's go back to the bar. And I'm like, okay. He's like, put your suit on. I'll meet you in the lobby in five. Wouldn't the bar be closed? Well, hold on. Hold, that's what I'm thinking. But I'm like, I don't know. Maybe he's got some trick up his sleeve. I don't know. So I'm downstairs in the lobby all by myself waiting for Jay for about 15 minutes in the lobby. Okay. Standing there like so naive, so dumb. All of a sudden I go up and I call his room from my room. Like, Hey, are we going? And he and Pittis are laughing. He's like, you didn't really put your suit suit on and go downstairs and stand in the lobby. Did you, you fucking idiot? And I was like, well, yeah, you told me we were meeting in the lobby. I did so he totally set me up. He set me up to go stand in the lobby by myself at three in the morning in my suit. Super nice. naive. Super dumb, right? Like the first thing that comes to my head is why would we be going out at three o'clock in the morning? Bar is <laughs> closed. It was closed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, you live and you learn, Petey, right? You live yeah. and you learn. Well, it's like you said right away. You're like, wouldn't the bar be closed? You know, like that's, that's the first but thing that's, you said. That's his personality. He loves the, the play. Yeah, he's a prankster. You know, he's uh, 
you know, he he's, he's a great teammate. That's what I, that's the, the thing that has followed him around and all the places that he's been is he's, he's a really, really great teammate. So, so I look forward to chatting with him and he's, yep. he's a hell of a coach. His team's number one in the Canadian hockey league, the CHL, they're the Hamilton Bulldogs in, in the OHL. And no one had really any expectation for the team this year. And Jay goes in, takes over and they're number one in all of Canada. So, um, we're, we're rooting for him. Um, Another thing that we'll talk about this day in history, Wayne Gretzky played his last game in the NHL. I remember where I was that day. 1999. I looked it up when you sent that to me this morning. It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday, April 18th, 1999. I can tell you exactly where I was when I watched part of that game. You, uh, you shadowed the guy, though. So that must have been extra special. I did. I was... Um... I was really young, actually, in my career. We were playing in, in New York, Madison Square Gardens. Um, I couldn't crack the top six in the Montreal lineup. So the coach at the time, and I, can't, I really can't remember who our coach was, did not want me sitting. So he put me on the forward line. And he gave me a job that night to play against Wayne Gretzky, and to basically shadow him, to follow him all over the ice, not give him any time and space, even to receive a puck. So when your coach says this to you, like, how does he present this to you? Does he say, hey, you're shadowing Gretzky tonight? Everywhere he goes, you go? Yes, that's exactly what he said. He goes, I literally want you to follow him off the ice. And when he steps on the bench, that's when you come to the bench. And when, and, and what's your initial thought to that? Like, what, what's your, like, it, it, I mean, if a coach said that to me, I think I'd probably laugh. But come on, are you serious? Like, what was your, what were you thinking at that moment when he's telling you you're going to shadow Gretzky tonight? Uh, I felt a little uncomfortable, obviously, because we're talking about Wayne Gretzky, and it just—I mean, when's the last time you've actually seen a shadow? Like, I mean, back back in our days of hockey, like I remember watching. I remember watching. I'll, 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 the last time I watched someone be shadowed, I was in North Bay, my hometown. I was at a junior A game watching the North Bay Centennials at the time, way back. And if you remember this guy, this defenseman that played a long time in the National Hockey League, Kevin Hatcher. Okay. Kevin Hatcher played for the Washington Capitals, scored 33 goals one year. The guy was insane. He was, he was a freak, okay? He was big. He was fast. He was offensive. He was one, literally one of the greatest players in the league at the time. Well, I remember they were playing a team. I don't remember what the team was, but I remember this because Kevin Hatcher was a right-handed defenseman, offensive guy. And every time Kevin Hatcher stepped on the ice, they had a player, a forward that would follow him around everywhere. The guy's job was just to skate right directly beside Kevin Hatcher so he could not touch the puck. And I remember the fans were booing because they were watching this and he was trying to sprint up the ice and this guy was right beside him. And then finally, Kevin Hatcher would get off the ice. This guy would skate Kevin Hatcher right to the bench. 
he would get off the bench and he would go to his and their team knew that every time Kevin Hatcher came on off the ice, that guy was ready to go on. And I watched. I, that was the first time that I had ever seen a real shadow. So fast forward, probably about seven, I would say seven, eight, nine years later, I'm put in a situation. I'm a defenseman, but I couldn't crack at the time. I just couldn't crack the top six in Montreal, but they wanted me to still play. So they put me in a position where they played me on right wing. And the game that I played that night, coach came up to me and said, you're going to shadow Wayne Gretzky and you're going to follow him all over the ice. And I did that. He didn't get any points. He barely touched the puck the entire night because and, I, I was. And there wasn't there an honorable, well, didn't he mention you in the uh, post game? Uh, well, scrum? it was so ridiculous, right? It was so ridiculous. In Montreal or Madison Square Garden? It was in Madison Square Gardens. And the, the media after the game asked Wayne Gretzky, they said, when's the last time you've been shadowed like that? And he's like, ah, oh, he's laughing a little bit. You know, he's like, yeah, I haven't seen that in quite a while, but the young guy, you know, over there in Montreal, Rive did a great job, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like he actually mentioned my name, mentioned the shadowing and, and moved on. That's awesome. Clayton what a task. What a task to be given in the yeah. NHL. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, not it a might not have been like job. 1986 Wayne Gretzky, but still, you know what I mean? It's it's Wayne Gretzky, right? I mean, you're. Yep. I think that's unreal. I remember the first time you told me that story. I was like, bullshit. You were shadowing Wayne Gretzky. Because I remember I interviewed him uh, back on the old show years and years and years ago before it was even our old show. I remember. And, and you called Did me you right after. No, because you called me right after. You said, did you know that I shadowed Wayne Gretzky? And I was like, you idiot. Like, I wish you had told me this before so I could have asked him if it was actually true. But no, I never did ask him. I never got a chance. Maybe we'll get a chance. Maybe we'll have him on sometime. Um, speaking of shadowing, sorry for the segue. Jay's coming up here in a little bit. Um, Tage Thompson. This guy needs a shadow. He's at 36 goals. I'm not going to ask you if he scores 40, but what does it mean? If he scores 40, forget about if, because whether he does or doesn't, he's had a freaking unbelievable year, but just like, what will it mean for him to score 40 goals? Do you think he needs to get four more to get 40 to finish the year off? Or do you think he's just, he can pack it in? Well, I'll, I'll ask this question, I, I guess, to you. Has has Tage Thompson solidified himself right now for you as the number one center and a number one go-to guy on the team? 36 goals. He's got 63 points in 74 games. Number one scorer for sure. I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, that's such a loaded question. It's such a, is he a bona fide centerman? Maybe not yet. He's not dominant. What? The, not dominant in the face-off circle or anything. He's not just, terrible. No, he's not terrible. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what that question means. Like, how is he? How is he responsibly as a centerman in his own zone, Craig? You'd be better to uh, answer that question. Like, has he? Has he? I'm not finding a criticism either. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, has he solidified? Statistically, maybe. That's all I'm saying. 
So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to rain on anyone's prey, but you asked me a question. I'm going to give you an honest answer. Does that happen overnight? Does it happen as an, ex- uh, you want to talk about experiments. He was like a real experiment at center. So are you going to say that you're going to take this experiment and say that it's all of a sudden like 100% solidified into a bona fide number one spot? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, is that fair? What I just said? Or you, because you're sitting there like, like looking around, like you either want to attack me and kill me, or you are understanding no, I, what I'm saying. I, I, I think right now, and why this team is so competitive is because Cage Thompson, along with Jeff Skinner, who I like, I mean, I think Jeff Skinner has been absolutely. I think this is the best season Jeff Skinner has probably ever played in his NHL career. And I would love for any of the um, media members to ask Jeff Skinner if they, if he feels that this is the best season, because how he is working, not only with the puck, but away from the puck is noticeable. Okay. Jeff Skinner has always been one of the best goal scorers. Okay, he's been an incredible goal scorer for many years in the National Hockey League, but that doesn't make you a great hockey player just because you score goals. That's just one part of the game. And I think Jeff is 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 starting to to realize that the intangibles, the small things in your game is what makes you a great hockey player. I mean, he's much more defensively responsible. He's in much better shooting lanes when he's in the off uh, the defensive zone. He's he's physical. He's nasty. He's making plays like he's played fantastic. But Tage Thompson, he is solidified in my eyes at the age of right ripe age of twenty four. He has solidified himself as as the number one center on this team. Okay, he's got 63 points. Let's just say hypothetically he ends with 70 and has 38 goals. Is that a number one center in the National Hockey League? Is that enough? Statistically, I I don't uh, on a team that's out of the playoffs. Absolutely. What about a team that's in the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, normally that number might be, I don't know, a little higher. I got to i gotta go through and look at all the top-line centers and all the teams, but I don't know, like, yes, high 70s, 80s, 90 points, I guess. You know, when you're talking Bergeron's, Barkov's, you know, Kopitar's, guys like that in their prime, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I'd say 82 points. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not again, like, he's he's a shooter, man. Like, he's a shooter. I mean, he's he's finishing his shots. I mean, he's not scoring... His goals are not uh, all in tight by the crease. I mean, he's he's got an w- unbelievable shot, and he can just let it rip, and he's not afraid to let it rip. I mean, look, look, he's the classic saying back when coaches say, you know, if it's on, it's in. I mean, if he hits the net, the, yeah. there's, a, there's a good chance. He shoots that puck so hard. Does Tage Thompson have the ability to elevate his game point-wise to 85 points a year? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't see why not. I certainly didn't see 36 out of them this year. Well, listen, I mean, with the, with the addition of Alex Tuck and the emergence of Jeff Skinner's game overall and the chemistry of that line in total, could you imagine if they played a full season together? 
Yeah, I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing that next year. I think I think Tage Thompson has the ability to be a point-of-game hockey player in this league. And if you're a point-of-game hockey player in this league, you are you're you're an elite you're an elite category. Well, answer your own question because I mean I, I've kind of I, I've I've alluded to reasons why I feel like you can't give him that title yet. But are you there yeah. with him? Are you there? Yes. Okay. I, I I am I am there with Tage Thompson be being an elite guy, and you you know you're the one who brought up Patrice Bergeron. Do you know the best year in Patrice Bergeron's NHL career? You know how many goals he scored? Thirty six. Thirty two. Okay. Thirty two was the most goals scored by Patrice Bergeron. Do you know how many points his his best year in the National Hockey League? I feel like he's had a ninety point year. No, he's had a 79-point year. Is that the most he's had? Yes, but it was also really? in 65 games. Okay. All right. Well, okay. what year was that? And then 2018-2019 season. His second best year is 73 points, 31 goals, back in 2005-2006. And then he's got a 64-point year, a 62-point year, a 63-point year. I mean, he is... He is not right, but is no, but is Bergeron right? But is Bergeron known more for his offensive output? I mean, the the where where Bergeron makes up for those 20, 30 points that other teams get from their top guys, your hundred points, is he yep. makes up for it with the you know being the a selkie trophy, the yep. selkie trophy nominations, and right? I mean, he's yep. he's known as your defensive juggernaut, unbelievable faceoff guy, solid penalty killer, great in the defensive yep. zone. I, I listen. I, I I'm just tr- taking I'm trying away. To, you know, I'm trying like, to things like, like that. You have you have uh, right now. You have Cage Thompson killing penalties. He's done a nice job killing penalties. He's doing nice job on the faceoffs. Um, he's added added an element to his game where, and I, t- listen, I'm just going to pat myself on the back. Go ahead and listen. Everybody out there, listen to me. I said it years ago that Tage Thompson was going to score 25 goals in this league. And everybody was like, you are bat shit crazy. And I said, once this guy figures it out, and if he does, which I, which I believe he does, because his skill set back four years ago, was still there. His skating was there. He just needed to physically and emotionally figure things out. And he's done that. And now you're, now you're seeing a Tage Thompson, which scored 36 goals this year. Great. But I, I think he's going to be a 25, 30 goal guy for the next five, six years after. Just so you know, you, you did call that when he was a winger. So I mean, maybe maybe being a centerman, giving me giving him a little more free reign to roam around and get in different shooting positions. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that allows him to, uh, you know, more of a a chance to score. Um, You know, Sabers win two in a row. Tough loss against St. Louis, but we got to talk Owen Power for just a minute or two here. I I mean, you know, how have you found his introduction to the NHL? Tough minus three the other day, but. You know, I'm not worried about that, he's, but I mean, how's, uh, how's he look? No power play time. Let's focus on that too for a second. Yeah. I mean, I think you need to not give him the keys to the kingdom. 
I think it's very it, it's very smart of them to like you got to remember he's also the last game or one of the one of the games that he played just recently he he played an insane amount of minutes um you know 22 minutes the last game last night but the night before that he played almost 23 minutes and led the defense in minutes played um they're allowing this young guy to make mistakes because he is making mistakes. Okay. There is no question about it. He, he looks like a wild stallion right now. When I watch him play, I am, I'm going to shut my mouth. Okay. I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm just going to watch him. I'm going to allow him to play. There's things that I really like, and there's things that I do not like. He is wild, and I say he looks like a wild stallion that has not had some structure and 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 tamed the beast a little bit. He is everywhere. He is behind the net. He's in the corners in the offensive zone. He's shooting from side to side. He is all over the place, which allow this guy allow this guy an opportunity to see what he can do. Okay, he is a special player. He's a big kid. He skates exceptionally well. He's obviously got some offensive tendencies to his game, um, but there's little things that I think they need to calm him down, which it's about being efficient, right? It's about being efficient. And there's things in his game right now that he, he, looks, like, he looks like a kid in a candy store. He is buzzing all over the place. But at the same time, He's putting himself and others on the team in situations that can be exposed defensively. Um, well, that's there's little things like, and I listen. How I much mean, faster do you think the game is for him? Much like, faster. Yeah, and that's much that's faster. one of the things you know, like after his first game in the it's NHL. It's not even about speed, too, though. I mean, if if you were to take a if you were to take on average you know, a D one hockey player that's 22 years old and stick him into an NHL lineup. He would be as fast as most of the guys in the team. The difference is the players in the national NHL are so much smarter, so much smarter. The hockey intelligence and the speed and the strength are through the roof. That's why they're in the national hockey league. Okay, so what Owen Power is, is he's got this genetic freak of a body. He skates exceptionally well. He's long and lean and and wiry. And he's, you know, he's got, you know, testosterone and he's just buzzing everywhere. But right now, he'll figure things out. They're allowing him to play. I'm sure they're going to do a little bit of video. I'm sure that they they do not want to smother him um, at all. They do not want to smother him at all. They just want to allow him to play and uh, just be free with his game right now. And um, I think he's smart enough. I think he's talented enough that he's going to pick up a lot just by playing in the league in these in these games. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate that analysis. I thought the same thing, but it's better coming from you being a NHL defenseman who played nine hundred and twenty three yeah. games. Like in the I mean, he's gonna that th- that young man's gonna be uh, an incredible, incredible player. Got his first very, NHL points. That's that's a nice little you know weight off the shoulders. No one's expecting this guy to light the lamp in terms of goals. 
So, I mean, I, you know, all in all, it's, I mean, it's going to be a, an eye-opening experience for them. There's no question. I mean, I don't care. It's it. And you've said it and you've said it. And I mean, all you got to do is play in the league and you'll know, you know, not even in the league, just play pro hockey. And you'll know that it's harder to adapt as a defenseman than it is as a forward. It's way harder. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what anyone it, this, says. It, it It's about the speed. It's about being able to read the game. And for young defensemen, it takes time because the game is um, unforgiving. Okay, you make a mistake. You make one crossover that's that's not the right way, and you allow an, a, a player to go with speed. I mean, you're you're cooked. And you know he's been exposed a few times. You know, you talk about the Tarasenko thing, or you know, listen, he's going to learn from the, those things. Like he's he, in in college, there there's not a whole lot of hockey players that are, have the strength and speed to one hand pop a puck through past Owen Power and go in on a breakaway and then pull the. And move you got the did. Jimmy Hayes thing pulling it through his feet the other day, yesterday in Philly. I mean, it's like yeah, whatever. I mean, he <laughs> is he's going to learn. He's going to learn. I mean, he, they need him. They need him more than ever to make mistakes. You have to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, then you're staying safe. You're staying in comfort zone. When you're in your comfort zone, you're not elevating your game. You're not pushing yourself to another level. This, he's a kid. You need to let him make mistakes. And he seems to be an intelligent young man. And he's going to learn from this through his video and understanding things that he can and can't do at this level. Well, you know what? We'll talk to a guy who played 802 games as a defenseman in this league and, you know, the mistakes he made that helps him grow. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but he played one game in the NHL, um, uh, you know, from junior uh, in his draft year, played one game, played some games in the minors. He was up and down his first couple of years. We'll talk about that and the adjustment to the NHL. He's coaching and he's killing it and they're getting ready. Do you know who they traded for his junior team this year? You know, one of the players they, they acquired, we talked about it a little bit, but I, you may not have focused too much on it. Mason McTavish. They traded for Mason McTavish right before the Olympics. And, uh, he has only, he only has 40 points in 26 games since they acquired him. So I'm sure that's been a nice little pickup for their, uh, playoff run here. Jay McKee coming up next. All right, joining us in here on episode 85 on After the Whistle, Jay the Cheese McKee. What's up, Cheese? Hey, Chee- what movie is this from, Jay? Rimmel What's going Cheese, didn't we throw you in a dumpster one time? Huh? Uh, I, I got out. That would be uh, be old school, wouldn't it? Ah, yeah. See, Riv, you had no clue, yeah. eh? That, that was uh, Ryan Miller used to always give me that. Cheese. Yeah, he loved that. He, he why, loved. why are you called cheese? Uh, I, I get this often. Um, my first year in Buffalo, <clears throat> I was 19. Uh, we had a bunch of older guys and just did a lot of young and dumb things. And uh, it, it became official. I went to a casino uh, in Montreal with, with Jason Daw. And it was my first time at a casino, right? Uh, first time in my life, 19 years old, actually making any kind of money, uh, having any money in the bank. And uh, so we get to the casino. I see him go to the ATM. All right, I'll go to the ATM. I pull out some money and we sit down at the table. I just kind of look around the table. I, I, I don't even know, you know, obviously, blackjack, you have uh, 
you know, certain ways you should play, um, you know, full table. So just kind of look around and see what people are betting and, you know, not looking at Dazi. I, I put $50 down on the table and he's over there playing uh, $20 a hand, you know, as a pretty established NHLer. So, you know, I've, I've got two and a half times when he's betting on the table, not, not realizing I should probably bet less than him and learn the game first. So <clears throat> as the game's going on, I don't think Dazi even knew that I'd never played before. Um, I'm just kind of watching people and what they're doing and, you know, making my bets and you know, the deal, you know, so I'm seeing people double down and split cards and they're like, oh, okay. So they're, some people are making more money, some aren't. And so the dealer, you know, pulls a 10 and, and I've got tens myself uh, or nines or something. And, and I split them and Ozzy looks like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, well, I'm seeing other people do this. So, and I end up winning on both hands. Right. Um, and then later on the dealer has a, uh, you know, we're playing this way. Dozzy's losing his money. Mine's going up and I'm playing terrible. He's playing by the book and uh, the dealer has a six showing. So it's a bus card, right? You should basically almost uh, uh, wave off everything. And I had something, I had like 16 to a bus card and, and I see the guy next to me double down. He had 11. Makes sense. So I go, yeah, I'll double down. <laughs> Everyone on the table is like, what are you? They're looking over at me like, what are you doing? And I pull a five, get 21. And, you know, people are starting to get up and walk away from the table now because they know I can, I'm going to kill the table, by the way. How much, was that, how much was that bet, though, too, by the way? Because you've been playing. Oh, it's probably, probably 50, right? Like, I don't okay. think I changed my bet. But, uh, you know, so I, I pull the five. Uh, the dealer flips their card. Uh, you know, and, and it ends up being, I end up basically for an hour screwing the whole table. Everyone else is losing because I'm playing horribly, right? I'm pulling the dealer's tens when. I should be waving it off. It's just crazy stuff. And, and and that's where he's just like, you know what? I walk away with like stacks of chips and Dozzy's already went to the ATM a couple of times <laughs> playing the right way. He's like, you're just everything. You just, you are the cheese. You're the cheese. And it was like, that was the day that, uh, you know, just combined with a lot of other just dumb rookie immature stories. Uh, yeah. I became the cheese. So Jason, so Jason Dawes started it. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, well, it, it's amazing because I remember I remember uh, being drafted, and I only ever knew you because you know when you were in Niagara Falls, you know Perns and my brother, the, everyone called you Keezer. Keezer back then, yeah, yeah. How original, eh? How original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hockey nicknames, I swear, I swear, most like ninety nine percent of hockey nicknames are are absolutely just awful. Awful. Yeah, you you, you could look over a team's list. And and probably guess ninety eight percent of the names just yeah. off what their yeah. last name is. Petey. Yeah. You know. Except for some guy whose name is Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. for for whatever reason. His nickname would be Lightning for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got how many how many how many guys you play with the last name Campbell in your hockey career? Oh, I know. They're all soupies, soupies eh? Yeah. So, so many soupies out there. Oh, there are so many Smitties. Eh? A lot of Smitties. Oh my God. It's so cheesy. Yeah. It's almost like, it's like, and it, you're coaching now. So you hear it, you hear like the younger ages. That's when every, that's when it all Live starts. It. Everybody wants to start the nicknames as soon as possible. They love going home and tell, yeah. calling all the guys by their nicknames. So yeah. how's coaching? You know, and you look, you're going on nicknames. You look at a guy like Mike Wilson, at, uh, one, of the, one of the funnier stories, played with Mike Wilson in Buffalo. And he was in Buffalo for maybe five years. And really? uh, uh, Dominic Hastic, 
Hey, Dominic Hasek says, uh, uh, Vili, uh, he said, talking about Vili, and someone one day about five years into playing together, they, they said, uh, Dom, what's his uh, first name? He goes, who? Uh, Willie. Vili? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. He's Vili. Didn't even know his first name. He didn't even know his name. Uh, love it. I believe it. Even if, like five years later. I, I believe it. I believe it. He, he's the guy that doesn't have to know names. So you're coaching Jay. And I just, you know, I just said to you, I'm like, how's coaching going? And I mean, you're number one in Canada. You just got your 50th win the other day. And you know, you're just getting ready to start the playoffs coaching the Hamilton bull. You're playing the Peter. Peterborough games. Gav? We have, uh, we finished our last one last night, last regular season game. Okay. So you're playing the Peterborough Peets now, right? Yeah. Playoffs. Yeah. We start uh, this Thursday. Yes. So how talk about this season? I mean, number one in the Canadian Hockey League, and I appreciate, by the way, every time you send me the the updates, I like the yeah, I, yeah. hey Riv. Every week I'll get the weekly update. Like the Kootenai Ice were number one all year, and that's James Patrick's team. And and Jay was number eleven as an honorable mention back in January, and then the next month he was seven. The next month he was five, yeah. and then three, and then just finished off number one. That's got to be huge. Number one yeah, in no, the, in the C, C, CHL. CHL, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, season's been uh, it's went well. It's fun to see James Patrick right there too. He's uh, he's worked hard and took a step back to be a head coach and uh, has had a lot of success. Uh, so it's good seeing a a good friend right there too. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, you know what, it's been a it's been a fun year. Steve Stayos has done a masterful job. Uh, you know, he, he won the OHL championship with Hamilton four years ago. So to be back, uh, you know in a position where we have a strong team again, uh, four years later, he's done a fantastic job. And, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Kids are a great team, hard workers, very coachable. And, uh, it's, uh, fun. We, we've had a lot of injuries too. So it's a testament to, you know, the depth of the team and, and just the, uh, adversity with these kids. I think we've had about 160 man games lost, uh, over the course of the season. They just keep finding ways to win. So you, will you be healthy going into the playoffs this year? So we played after 68 games. We've had a period period and a half fully healthy. And I, I think come Thursday, we, uh, we very well could have a healthy team again. Yeah, so that would be uh, starting our second game of the season. So I was telling Riv before you hopped on with us, and I said, you know who they traded for back in, I think it was like whenever you guys traded January or something. Mm-hmm. Mason McTavish, and then I looked at his stats today. He only he's only put up forty points in twenty six games. Yeah, he's, he's an okay player. Huh? Oh yeah, we uh, that that was a unique trade too, in the sense that uh, you know when we traded for him, we had him for two weeks, uh, and then he went to the the Olympics for about a month. So he had you know kind of got his feet wet with us. We um, we wanted to see who we played well with, who we fit with. He's going to play well with anybody, but. We wanted to find a chemistry, and and uh, so we we kind of when he came back, played him almost with every line, um, and then found a real good chemistry with Ryan Winterton, who's a uh, a third round pick to Seattle, and and uh, a younger kid with us, a first year guy, uh, Patrick Thomas, who's in his draft here. They, they've got a great chemistry, so we'll start with them together. So I remember, I remember playing uh, against the Patrick Thomas uh, Thomas kid for years. He's a Toronto kid, is he not? Or is yes. he a Hamilton? He played in Toronto. Oh, sorry, sorry, from back. the Hamilton area. Yeah. yeah. But when he was younger, he played. Uh, if I'm, 
I think he played in Toronto for a couple of years in the GTHL and then came back to the Hamilton Huskies, mm-hmm. um, which was a top, uh, a top ranked team. Fantastic player. Fantastic player. So that McTavish though, he probably won't be back next year, right? Like, do you, do you guys know no. that when you trade for him or do you think like, there's no way he's coming back next year? We, we, we don't expect that he will be back. I mean, there's, there's always the, the outside chance, but uh, being a part of Anaheim system, you know, unless they go out and bring in all kinds of guys as UFAs up front, uh, you know, even still, I, I wouldn't be uh, shocked at all if he's there next season full time. Yeah, he's, he's that good a player. And tell tell us about so you you coached in in uh, for the Kitchener Rangers for a number of years, which is which is a great organization in the OHL, and you've you've moved to the Hamilton Bulldogs. Tell us the difference um, between between the two teams, and uh, you know obviously you know you're number one in the league this year. I mean this team that you have, I mean uh, offensively and defensively are yeah. like one like the top in in the league. Yeah, no, uh, both great organizations, both first class. A little unique difference in the sense that uh, Kitchener is city-owned. The fan base there, very old fan base, uh, in the sense that it's very traditional. Uh, They sell out pretty much 7,000 every night. Um, Hamilton, um, they had their AHL team for a while in Hamilton, and then that team moved, and and they put the OHL team there. So it was a, a bit of a... The change for the fans uh, going from AHL to OHL, uh, but I think with the success they had in 2018 and, and uh, the way things have been built up, and, and Mike Anlauer is the the owner, so there's an owner with the team. He's part owner of the Montreal Canadiens, and, and he's just a fantastic owner. Just loves the sport of hockey. You know, he's a he's the kind of guy that you know when we have games in the regular season season in Peterborough, he's driving up and by himself and watching those games, just loves uh, the sport of hockey, good person to be around. So it's, it's unique in that difference where you actually have an owner, uh, more of a board of governors in, uh, in Kitchener. So that changes some things on the, on the, on the daily, but yeah, both first class um, in what they do. Uh, very proud to be part of uh, both those organizations. Uh, um, you know, my time in the OHL. Could Hamilton, you think Hamilton could uh, handle an NHL team? Because remember when you were in Buffalo all those years, there were talks about teams moving to Hamilton. Like, could Hamilton handle an NHL market? Because I know the OHL team there is killing it. Yeah, we're doing well. Um, I, I think they could. The, the building is, uh, you know, full size. It was built for pro hockey. Um, I think it holds around 17,000. Um, you know, and the the dressing room facilities were were built for pro hockey. So, our players, uh, the junior players, that have the the facility and, and setup they, that they have, uh, you know, they, they have to be grateful for that. Uh, the weight room is is high end; everything's great, so it certainly gives an advantage to our players. Jay, do you uh, do you do you like coaching more than you like playing? That's a tough one. Uh, well, I know I know some coaches yeah. that, leave, that leave playing, and they're like, "Oh my god, I would way rather coach than play." Yeah, you know, when you play uh, hockey in general, you play for fun as a kid, and you know, guys that are as fortunate as we are to take it to the top level, uh, you're living your dream, right? So it's it's hard to say anything is, is better than that. But when you get into coaching, I think um, as you get further into it. Uh, it, it starts to become the next passion, right? Um, you know, when I first transitioned from playing into coaching, 
you know, I kind of kept uh, relationships with the players and, and, you know, it's hard to let that, that go. Um, But as you realize, as you get a little bit older and, and, you know, you realize that there needs to be a separation and you, you, you deep dive into, you know, everything that you learn every year in coaching, even this year, we, we as a staff, just continue to learn new stuff. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> it becomes the next passion. So I think they're, they're very different. Um, but yeah, no, I, I turns into a new dream. You know, I want to try to achieve like it is a player that playing like, in the top of, level. And like, what kind of coach are you Jay? Cause the, the reason why I want to ask you that, cause I remember Jay, I remember a practice where Lindy tore into you. I was, it was a play. It was like a D to D to the winger and they wanted the, the winger to carry the puck and you know, you stepped up on me before I even got the puck and Lindy ended up losing it on you. Cause he, do you remember, do you remember this day? I, I mean, you had a lot of practice. I'm, th- I'm thinking about it as a coach now. I, I just killed that drill by stepping up on you early. So now I know why Lindy got mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> He's well, probably trying to incorporate something with the forwards. And here I am, this young kid. But Lindy laid into you. Lindy yeah. laid into you. And you and I said, Jay, shit, man, sorry. I, I hope I didn't do something to, to get you in trouble there. With the, you know, And you, you turn to me and you go, Petey, I've, uh, I've been known to be, a, you know, what, I've, I'm what's known to be whipping a bit boy. of a whip, whipping boy around here. He's like, so, you know, uh, don't worry about Lindy. Lindy, you know, Lindy, you know, I can take that or whatever. I mean, when, do you take things like that? That's, that's something, that's a day I'll never forget in the NHL. And I, and do you take that and coach differently? Do you lay into guys like, like, have you had to, I mean, what, what's it like? changing going from being the player the ultimate team guy to the coach now who has to yeah. police guys like us and keep us in check well there's a couple Look things that. smiling <laughs> that's exactly what i'm asking too <laughs> there's a couple couple things to that um you know i like I, I think you have to be human with the players you have to build relationships you have to let them know you care about them before you ever lean into them um, you know, so you establish that early by getting to know them and, and joking around a little bit. Um, I think as a head coach, there's there's a different line. You can't, as an assistant coach, you can be that happy-go-lucky joke around all the time, at, you know, at times. But as a head, there needs to be a separation, right? They have to know that that you're the head guy and, and uh, you know, you, you have expectations. It's not a, a circus around the, the dressing room all the time. But, um, yeah, I've leaned into guys. Um, but you know, more so to send messages to the whole team and, and knowing who the guys are, you know, leaning into first year players that are 16 at our level, it's not going to help them that much. Those are guys that you got to kind of take aside and you can be stern, but I think to, to rip them in front of their teammates, uh, doesn't really work. Um, you know, they're all out there trying, right. Uh, and it, I think the most important thing is even society in general, these players, the age group, the way they're raised, it's very, very different than the way we were raised, the way we came up through the ranks in hockey. There's a lot more coaching through intimidation. Um, so I think I think there's just a different way to talk to these players and to teach these players, and it's not it's not what we went through, right? So uh, how but, different but, are the personalities? How different are the players from from when you? grew up and played through your time to the players that are now? Well, I, I just think they're, they're raised differently, you know, and, and 
you know, my father was raised differently than I was. It was a, a different kind of harder generation, right? And and it's it's tapered down through, you know, family structures, uh, through societal structures, and and then into sports. Um, I mean, the kids are the same in the sense of personalities and, and the way they are, but. Um, you know, I think the way that Lindy was on me at times, uh, there's some players that I could be that way with and they'd be fine. Um, but there's a lot that wouldn't, you know, uh, I'm sure agents would be calling my GM if, if, uh, I was as hard on some of these kids that, that, uh, you know, the way I had it growing up, but <clears throat> you got to find that. So in you know, a way, it sounds, it sounds like it's in a way it's almost holding some kids back from reaching their full potential too. Uh, possibly it's possible. Yeah. But it, it all depends on, on the individual. Right. And, you know, I, I, thinking back here, um, the, I snapped pretty hard on a player uh, after the game in front of the team. He was an overage player on our team that, that I had already had discussions with, um, but it was overtaking a terrible penalty in the third period in a game where we, we were down a couple goals. We clawed back. We had the lead. There were seven minutes left and, and, you know, he takes a needless uh, roughing penalty, just starts teeing off on a guy for no reason, right? And we ended up losing that game in overtime. Um, you know, and I just kind of needed to send the message, not, not only to him, but to everybody, the value of, of controlling your emotions. You know, we were, we were a few weeks out from playoffs, and this player in particular, I love, I love the kid. I, I had him in Kitchener. Uh, our, our, it was Arbor Jacka, you know, and, and he's got a lot of penalty minutes, and there were times where, you know, he's, he's not controlling his motion the right way. And he's such a fantastic player and important piece for us. And, you know, it was part of uh, really setting the message to him. So we had, had talks on the side. I had sat him for, you know, half a period at times or a full period, uh, you know, but but losing that game in the fashion we did do essentially to a, uh, a bad penalty that they scored on, um, you know, that, that was uh, probably the last time that I, really got heated in the dressing room after the game. And, but I also know Arbor's a, we have a great connection. I, I, like I said, I had him in Kitchener and we traded to get him to Hamilton. And, and uh, I know he's a guy that could take that and be better moving forward for it. But it also got the message out to everybody at the same time. So when you're making these, these decisions, you know, personally, are there other coaches that have that have helped you guide yourself and how you want to be? I'm sure that you're taking, you know, lessons from all the coaches that you've ever been coached, um, coach, you know, for. Yeah. And um, are there are there bits and pieces that you're taking from each and every one of those uh, coaches and those uh, interactions that you've had throughout your career? No, I, I think all those interactions and experiences are develop us into who we are today, each of us, you know, uh, and as a coach, uh, there's no questions. There's systems that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 we're using right now that, uh, you know, we're using Pittsburgh when they want a cup. Uh, you know, there's teachings that uh, I remember back from Lindy. There's even drills that I remember back from, uh, Lindy, one-on-one uh, -on -one Olympic. I bet you pulled out the one. -on <laughs> you did, didn't you? You dirty there, there, dog. There, you pulled out one-on-one -on -one Olympic. Two-on-one backjack, didn't you? You pulled there's out. A few, two <laughs> there's a few. I mean, I was with Lindy for for ten years, so a lot of uh, what he did over the years is 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 always in my mind. And uh, you know, 
look what he's done. He's still coaching as a head coach, so he's he's done it right. Um, he's one of the smartest. He's, he's one of the he's, smartest hockey men in the game. I don't get. I don't care in history. I agree, and he and he, he he changed his ways too. He, he you know by earlier in my career career he was harder on me, and then he he tweaked a bit, and and uh, you know he, he's a great coach. So yeah, I think you take a lot from all the guys, even even coaches uh, that I've coached with at at the OHL level, Mike Van Ryan, who's had great success in St. Louis, won a cup there. Uh, Learned a lot from him, uh, Dan to Chuck, uh, Chris Knobloch, who's coaching in the NHL, was a fantastic X's and O's guy. So you're always uh, learning and developing, growing as a coach, uh, no differently uh, than we would as a player. I didn't hear a uh, I didn't hear a shout out to Chris Johnstone there. Johnny, uh, Johnny, yeah. <laughs> jo- oh yeah. Um, so let, let's go back. Let's let's go back and talk about your career a little bit. You know, back all the way. You were talking about your coaching days and good luck, by the way, in the playoffs, man. We're we're going to be watching. We're rooting for you. Um, you know, let's go all the way back when you were drafted in the OHL. You were a first round pick, but were you you weren't rated in the first round, were you? Or at least at the start of that year, you were rated somewhere like weren't you like in the tenth or twelfth round, and you moved yourself up like eleven rounds. Yeah, well, actually, being drafted, it's a good story for kids that, that maybe aren't high in the drafts. Uh, for the OHL draft, I played junior C hockey my uh, my draft year uh, in Ernestown. So uh, not not a lot of scouts went to watch junior C hockey. So uh, I, I was kind of an unknown um, getting really close to the OHL draft. And, and I think it was rated around the eighth round. Um so the Team Ontario tryouts, uh, typically a player would have to go through, you know, the local camp, then the regional camp, then they, uh, a bigger camp, and then they get to the final one, right? And because I played junior, uh, with junior C being considered junior, um, I got to advance to the final camp. I didn't have to go through all the, the small camps where there is some politics maybe involved here and there. And. Uh, you know, so I didn't have to kind of go through two or three camps to get to the final one. I got advanced and it was just a, a, a three day thing in the Toronto area. And, and I had a fantastic camp. I was running guys over. I was, uh, you know, going end to end with the puck. I just, everything went well in that camp. Um, so I left there, the OHL draft was just a couple weeks later, or a few weeks later. And I left there with all kinds of agents calling all kind of, uh, colleges sending their, uh, you know, their, their packets to the house. And so within three days, it, it was kind of a whirlwind. And then uh, when the draft showed up a few weeks later or a month later, whatever it was, uh, I went 10th overall. So it basically just having a really good showing against the top kids in, in Canada from being an, un, uh, or sorry, in Ontario, from being an un, unknown, allowed me to get drafted uh, really high. And then Fast forward to the uh, the NHL draft. I was in Sudbury where we had an older team, really good team, uh, five older defensemen before me. Um, my first year in the OHL as a, as a 16-year-old, I had an assist in my first game. I went home and I told my roommate who, uh, uh, I said, listen, I, I think I could do this every night. You know, that's pretty easy. I, I rimmed the puck around the boards, right? I rimmed it. Is this year? Where I went down, year? took a long shot, scored. I'm like, this is, I could do this. 40, 50 points maybe, right? <laughs> finished that season. That was in game one. It, that's the cheese, right? The kid. I could do that. That is easy, easy league. I finished that season with zero goals, 
one assist in 51 games. <laughs> That's a true story. Great finish so, to the season, so Jay. Season didn't go all that well, right? And then uh, year two comes along. I'm in Sudbury. They had a great – Don't forget game. three games in the playoffs, no points either, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, season two comes along. We've got, again, an older team. Uh, they ended up going on a on – a, I think they, they went to the OHL finals, even the Memorial Cup that year. But I was traded mid-season. Um, Jason uh, Von Sr. and Ethan Morrow came from Niagara Falls. Me and Chester Glant went to Niagara Falls. <clears throat> that was around the trade deadline. I was ranked, I think, the sixth or seventh round of the NHL draft. And when I got to Niagara Falls, Chris Johnstone, the head coach, and, and Dave Burkholder, uh, the D coach, uh, just said, hey, we're, we're, we're the youngest team in Canada. Um, you know, we're just going to play a ton. Like, we, we, you know, we don't have a lot outside of Mike Perna. We don't have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal because Perns is going to listen to this. He's going to hear that. That's gutless. Yeah. You know, Mike Vernon ended up being uh, you know, my closest friend in life. But, uh, it, no, we, uh, so I went there and I played, it must have been two months, two and a half months maybe, and uh, got knocked out in the first round. But I went from, you know, being rated in seventh or eighth round of the NHL draft to having that limited experience of just go play. Here's power play, here's penalty kill. They're going to play 25 minutes a night. And, and kind of like that little camp I was at, that small period of time, I went from uh, – seventh eighth round to 14th overall so you know a good story for kids about just when you get an opportunity you make the best of it good things can come right i told that story to uh riv right before right before you came on i was talking about i remember the night that my brother called my parents it was like one in the morning and they had just had a game on the road and they got back home he got to his billets house and he called and he's like we just traded bond senior and morrow to sudbury for mckee and gallant and uh yeah, and then the rest the rest is history. But I mean, I remember I remember Jay, I was a kid and I used to I used to go and hang out down by the locker room. I mean, that was ninety what were you drafted? Ninety five? So it was ninety four, ninety five. Uh, I was yeah. like fourteen. So I'm yeah. like I'm like I, I told Rim, I, I was in high school. I was a hockey geek, man. I was at every Thunder game watching all these young prospects. You know, I mean, they were older than I was, but I was watching all these NHL prospects. I mean, I was watching NHL players play junior before they made the NHL. And, and that's what really sparked my desire to play hockey. I'm like, I want to, I just wanted to play in the OHL. Fuck the NHL. That was like, I was way too far away. I just wanted to play in the O. The O just seemed unbelievable. So it was early on. You sucker, (laughs) you sucker punch. Larry Corville cross-checked you in the nose and you turn around and absolutely just, or wait, you cross-checked him in the nose and he turned around and just, Boom! Sucker punched you right in the face, right? So you guys end up. It was you guys end up getting kicked out of the game, and I remember I'm down by the locker room because I wanted to meet you. And you come out, you have your suit on, and you have this like you're bleeding from the bridge of your nose. And I was like, oh, is that from when Larry Corville punched you? And you go, no, no, I just, I just had like a major zit there. I just popped it. (laughs) I thought it was, I thought it was from your scrap. So anyway, so fast forward. So you're, you're. you're at the draft preview. I think your draft was in Edmonton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And and you were uh, featured on TSN. You did the bungee jump right at the uh, at the yeah, West Edmonton yeah. Mall. TSN, TSN approached me about a week or so before the draft and asked if they could uh, follow me around for, th- for three days and have me mic'd up the whole time. And uh, yeah, the night before the draft, went bungee jumping in the, the mall there. So it was a pretty neat piece they did. And 
I think, uh, you know, with the top players, you, you know probably where they're going to get drafted. You know their story. And, and I think it was kind of neat for them to take a guy that, you know, who knows where he's going to get drafted or what, you know, what position. Um, yeah, it was a real neat thing to look back on. So, so Riv, feel free to jump in here, right? I'm just, this is a trip down memory lane for me. When we're talking Jay McKee, Niagara I'm just letting you two lovebirds go. Like, I mean, Petey's so excited to have cheese on and let's talk about old times. And it's, this is his moment. You can get to your question. Stepping back. Well, you can get to your question in a bit about what would you, what would you tell Owen power? uh, You know, as he's coming in as a young D man in the NHL, but no, I mean, so, so you like, I just, Riv, I don't think you understand, right? So, like Jay, you were—I mean, I, I said this to Riv, and I guess—I I guess I'll say it to you now. Like, I—I like have known of you since I was 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And I told Riv before we came on, I was like, you know, he, you were—you know—buddies with my brother. You played together, obviously, Mike Perna, and I was—you guys kind of accepted me in that circle of of friends or circle of trust, so to speak. But. You know, then I get to Buffalo, you know, obviously around training camps and stuff where, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. But then I get to Buffalo and, and no, you were a guy that really helped me get established and settled. I mean, you know, like comfortable with the city. You know, I remember early on, you, I remember you said to me, we were in Colorado. You're like, you know, I'm going to talk to Larry Carrier next week and just, you can come and live at my house. And just, I'm like, Jay, don't say a fucking word. I don't want anyone to even know that I exist. Just don't ruffle any feathers. Don't say anything. You're like, no, no, no. And you were just, you were really good to me. You were really good to me as a, as a veteran yeah. player. Me being a, I mean, I'm only what, a few years younger than you are, but when you're a rookie in the NHL, you're as raw as they get, man. Like you're like yeah. a, you're like a, you're like a baby again. You're just happy to have well, a veteran guy talk to you. Well, you know, and you know what it is, Ribs, right? Like hundred percent. Hey, Ribs, you know, you're just like, oh my god, this guy's played hundreds of games, and he even the guy's yeah. acknowledging me. I totally. Yeah, agree. well, Ribs, you would know when you when you got your your friend group, the guy like PD comes along. Every every friend group needs that village idiot, right? So you fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unreal eh? you know you're trying to you're trying to pay the guy a compliment for you know See, the take... only time i that's the only reason i hung around pd and and yeah. uh, on our team like the it truth was, comes uh, out huh sometimes yeah. the truth hurts hey you know Amazing. what man just just happy to be happy to be along yeah. for the ride no, we, we had a just, lot of fun that's just happy to be along for the ride no but i mean so you know it, they, they, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of history there so i mean that's where it comes from riv but i mean your time in Buffalo is probably, well, it's not probably, it's what you're most known for as a hockey player. I mean, when, when people talk about Jay McKee, I mean, I think a lot of people associate you with Buffalo and you guys had some really good teams there. The best teams there, arguably maybe some of the best teams there. And, yeah. you know, you just look at what's gone on with the team in the last 11 years. When, when you reflect back to those years, does it ever make you realize, you know, what you were doing to the city and the fan base when you see how strongly in the other direction they can go when they're unhappy? You know, like you look back to yeah. 97, 98, those were your years coming into the league, Jay. Yeah, no, it, it yeah, it's been, it's been hard. Obviously when you, uh, you play for a team for 10 years, it becomes your team, no matter where you, you go on, you know, the, the city feels like home still is still, I, uh, I'm up in Wilson now, but it's still uh, close to Buffalo and that's still my home base and my kids have all their sports there. And, um, yeah, you think back to, you know, even the 2006 run, um, 
you know, we scored that old OT goal after game six and you just feel the building shaking. And, you know, we poked our heads out the door of the atrium there, the, by the front doors, and it was just insane. Um, you know, and, and the years before that, all the people that were before the Harbor Center was built, that parking lot was just full of people before games. It, it, you know, it's a sports town and it's certainly a town that deserves to have a winner and, and, and they'll get there again. I have no, I have no doubt. Um, are you are yeah, you talking it, about what, what, the uh, are you talking about the two thousand five two thousand six season? Yeah, when Carolina oh, okay. won. Yeah. Oh, did you guys do yeah. well that year? We yeah, we get knocked <laughs> out by Carolina in the. Uh, he knows. Oh, okay, he's okay. being a yeah. dick. Yeah. yeah, fucking hear it every day. Yeah. <laughs> every day, Jay. Yeah. Like two thousand five yeah. two thousand six season, how great the team was. But going back to that year, that's the year that you ended up getting injured, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a large number of your defense corps got injured that year. Jimmy Connolly, yeah. Was out. But did yeah. you but what about the defense? Like five the defense, of our top all, six, I think. Yeah, five of the yeah, top four, four, four of the top six, yeah. Uh, it would have no, been Tepo, Kalinan, myself, and I'm missing somebody. Um you guys were pegged Ludman. to win that year. Ludman. I think right. only to, to Leander, to Leander. To Leander. Uh, I, I don't know if we were pegged to win going through the season, but towards the end of the season and through playoffs, it, it, the team was, I mean, Palmville came, you know, was a young guy. Roisey was a young guy. They were playing fantastic. Vanek, it, it, Miller. It, it was, yeah, I think when we got into the playoffs there, you could say we were pegged to win. Yeah. How tough was that for you? going through such a great season with your team and then all of a sudden, you know, getting injured and mm-hmm. seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, like, wow, we can actually do this. And then you get hurt. How, yeah. how tough well, was that for you? Well, it was, it was even harder because it, it wasn't really an injury for me. Right. I, I had the infection, the staph infection, but, and I'll, I'll give you the, 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 the story for people that haven't fully heard it, but we, we play, we played in the series before in Ottawa. And I blocked a shot on the inside of my ankle. And after the game, I took my skate off. You know, it, it hurt, but you play through it, you take your skate off, and my whole sock was covered with blood. It's pretty good, pretty good gash. Um, and when I was there, the doctor said, well, it, it was deep, but it, it was a small cut. You could put a couple stitches in it, or we could steri-strip it, and, and you'll probably be fine. And I said, well, whatever you think is best. And he put a couple of strips on it. They cleaned it, did everything right. Um, and then uh, a couple of, I think it was the next day in practice. I just had Brian McCutcheon hit me in the same spot. We were doing a, a battle drill in front of the net where the coach kind of lobs the puck from the point. And he got me in the exact same spot and uh, go off the ice. And uh, <clears throat> again, sock was covered in blood. They cleaned it up. They, they put the stereo strips on it. Um, you know, we move forward, keep it clean every day. And so then we get in the next round and, and at some point over that day or the next few days or something, uh, this, this, the infection had started. Um, we're in round two. We play, you know, did you uh, know there was an infection starting though? Like, is no, I, no, I had no, idea. no one knew. Okay. All right. Didn't, didn't look infected, but you know, when, when you get an infection, it doesn't, you don't get it super hard right away, right? It builds up. And yeah, I just didn't know if maybe it was something they knew and they were keeping an eye on. That's all. No, I had, had no idea. No. So, you know, cleaned it up every day, um, you know, and then we get into the, the second round and 
you know, I, I had had some, a little bit of pain in my shin. Right. Um, but I also had pain in my other shin from, from blocking shots. So I didn't think anything about it. Uh, we get to game six. Um, you know, at that point in the playoffs, your game, game six in the third round of the Stanley cup playoffs, you, you know, your shoulders hurt and your back hurts, your head, everything's sore. Uh, so there, there was no red flags. Uh, we play game six. My, my shin's a little, so, little sore. We finish, we win. I remember going home and just, just thinking we're winning. We're not just winning the series. We are winning the Stanley Cup this year. I go to bed. Um, I, I woke up probably around two in the morning and, and the pain was getting worse and uh, like woke me up worse. So I went and took a couple of Tylenol. I kind of went downstairs, hobbled downstairs and, and uh, got back up late in bed. And, At any point, are you thinking it's sleep. the cut on your shit? At any point, no, are you absolutely thinking? Absolutely not. Not, not for a, not for a second. Okay. Not not the last thing I would have ever felt. Um, <clears throat> late in bed, I couldn't sleep because of the pain. Now I was just starting to get frustrated because we're we're flying out tomorrow to go to Carolina for for Game Seven, and here I am. I'm it, it's like four thirty five in the morning, and and I haven't slept for three hours. I'm I'm starting to get aggravated, right? So, and the pain was was a little bit worse. I went to get up to get a couple more Tylenol. And when I went to stand up, I just about fell over the pain. When, when I put weight on my leg, it felt like my shin was, was broken. Uh, and I, I sat there kind of in disbelief. I didn't understand what was going on. The pain was so severe. So I called, uh, called their trainer and, um, explained it to him. And, and now I turned the light on and I looked like my, my calf is getting bigger. Like calf's getting really big and it's red. Right. And uh, so when I talked to him, he said, I explained it to him. I, I said, I do not have any idea what is happening here, but I feel like my shin is broken and my leg's swelling up. Uh, and he said, touch it. Is it, is it warm? And I touched it. I said, yeah, it feels like, yeah, it's on fire. And he's like, you might have an infection somehow. Like we, we still weren't even thinking of the cut, like down my lower ankle, right? So he said, get to my place as quick as you can. He was about five minutes from where I lived and um, on the way over in the car, I was, you know, now we're looking at probably 5.45 AM. I was bent over in the passenger seat and, and sweat was dripping off my face, my ears. I, I was shaking my head and sweat was flying everywhere. And my body was like starting to shake. Um, so we get to his place and he looks at me and he's like, we got to go to the hospital right now. He's like, follow me to the hospital. And, uh, so we were following him and, and I'm in the passenger seat, the first intersection, uh, I leaned over and, and he, I was like, I, I think I'm dying right now. So I kind of got up out of the car and I hobbled up to his car. I fell into the passenger seat and he looked at me and he just looked up, gunned it through the red light and, and got to the hospital as quick as he could. Um, we get there, they get me into a room. And I remember sitting where I put my back up against the wall and my legs were both straight out. And the pain was so severe that both my legs were, were bouncing. I had my arms crossed and looking down at my legs and they were both like just bouncing uncontrollably off the, uh, off the uh, table. Um, you know, so they'd given me some, some meds to ease the pain. Uh, they did a, a, like a culture swab of the cut. Stop uh, right there for one sec. Culture swab. At sure. any point, are you still thinking you're playing? <laughs> Well, I, I didn't know what was happening. 
Okay. I, I, I okay. honestly thought I, I honestly thought at that point that something happened in the game where I broke my shin bone. I, okay. I didn't I still wasn't thinking I have I have an infection, right? So you culture know, so, swab, they do a culture so, swab. So they do the culture swab, they walk out. Uh I'm I'm the pain is starting to come down from the meds and uh I'm sitting there and the doctor comes in and says, Well, if you have an infection, um there there's some good news and bad news. What do you want first? And I said, well, uh, give me the good news first. And I'm starting to feel a little like pain meds are kicking in. So I'm now I'm thinking, okay, the good news is maybe I got to go to Carolina late, right? That's what I'm thinking. And he said, the good news is uh, we, we swabbed it. We will, we've given you some uh, broad-based antibiotics, but once we know exactly what it is, we can treat it for what it is. I said, okay. And he said, uh, well, now give me the bad news. He said, the bad news is that redness that's all the way up your leg he said, if it, it's right below your kneecap, if it travels above your knee, we might have to amputate. Shut up. What? I was like, you're kidding. You're, you're joking. He's like, no, it's, it's the, the infection has gone systemic. It's going through your whole system. And if that redness travels up, it could cost you your life if we don't amputate it. Knee. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding. And he says, no, Jay, I'm not. So. You know, like all I'm thinking now is this is like this is we have the Stanley Cup finals, and you're telling me you might have to cut my leg off right now, right? In the next 20 minutes. So yeah, it was it was it was wild. Um so I, I stayed in there for a bit and you know insane amount of emotions are going through, you know, uh my my mind and body. And um how you know, long up, from the time they said we might have to, were they gauging like that they would know that you were in the clear? I, I don't recall because, it, uh, you know, number one, I was medicated for the pain and, and probably there for a couple hours. And, and once they started pumping in the regular stuff, um, you know, I was able, I was able to go. Um, <laughs> but then I, I asked if, uh, you know, if you're not cutting it off, will I be able to fly out late and, and play tomorrow? <laughs> And they said, well, <laughs> you did not. Yeah. 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 So, so they hey, said, uh, if we don't have to cut it, am I good to play tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, you think of that, right? They're like, you go that far. And, and I, on a personal level, I, I was never more confident in my playing abilities. And, you know, Kutch was putting me out there every other shift. And he's like, no, if we have, a, if we're killing a penalty, just stay out unless you can't, unless you have, you can't breathe. He's like, stay out. I was, I was having fun. Right. And, and I, and like I said, the night about the night before I got home, I was eat, eating dinner and I, I just said to myself, we're winning the Stanley cup this year. We're, we're, there's no question we're winning tomorrow or uh, the next night and we're winning the cup. And then that all happens within that, that sleep, that next sleep. Right. So, um, so yeah, they ended up, they had to put a pick line up my arm, um, you know, about a foot long. It was up my arm. It connected me to a, a, a pack that, had a battery that would fill, uh, feed me an antibiotics. I had it for 10 days. Um, and I asked if, yeah, is there any way we can hide this in my, uh, you know, in my, in my pants and stitch it into pants. <laughs> like you can't, can't do it. So, so I was done. I, the next night, the, uh, when I, while we went at home, they played the next night. And, um, I remember watching the game and, and the infection was still obviously in my body. And I was kind of almost in and out of consciousness and it, I couldn't stay awake. I was, uh trying to watch the game i, I missed parts of the 
think of that. Missed parts of game seven, just not able to, to stay awake. Were you in the so, hospital that night or were you back home? No, I, I went home that night once they, they saw, once they figured out exactly what it was and started treating it with the right antibiotics and the redness had slowed and, and started to, to go back down. They, so you, they said I could go home. They, they sent a nurse to the house thinking it was twice a day to check it and change the battery and, and the, uh, the antibiotics. So you got to sleep through soupy firing it over the glass. All right. Pretty okay. sure I remember seeing that happen live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the goal is to, yeah. yeah I and remember that was, that. and that was your UFA year. And then you go and you, you sign it. That's a crazy story, Jay. That's a, that's yeah, a crazy yeah. story. That, how that long, went how long before you knew that you were going to be okay? Uh, they gave me confidence. Once the redness started to retract down, down the cat, down from the knee, um, I was, I was, pretty comfortable that it was going to be all right because they said did it, that it, start how long did that take uh i think it was within, within hours oh okay yeah. all right yeah. oh, man. um you know but yeah they had said that you know regarding the amputation it, they would know soon like if that thing starts pumping up my leg uh we'd be in for some trouble so yeah that, that was the bad news doc. <laughs> yeah i would say that's the bad news that's my God, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Uh, that's a tough transition, but at least we know your leg's okay. So you signed with St. Louis that year. I remember getting the text four times for St. Louis. Did it feel yeah. right, Jay? Did that feel right? Before um, we get into negotiations with Buffalo and how they went, did that deal feel right to you? Um, God, you know, can, I I ask be... one, can I ask one question? Because sure. it's going to be on my mind. It's going to be on my mind. It's actually probably one of the stupidest questions I'll, I've ever asked in all the years I've been doing this. Oh my god, I mm-hmm. can't wait! But I'm I I I I I think to you about what you went through and the the emotions of being told that by the doctors, and you have hours and all this kind of stuff, and it's it's like, you know, what's weird is is I remember watching. I remember watching at home that year thinking that the Buffalo Sabres are going to win the Stanley cup because that's how good you guys were. Okay. And I sit there and I look at you and I know that if you would have been there, Jay, you would have been a major factor in all of those games moving right up to the Stanley cup. And my question to you is if you could win the Stanley cup, and ha- have your leg amputated after the Stanley Cup? Would you do it? And and yeah. this is such a ridiculous question, <laughs> but I'm I I kind of like have to ask it because um, maybe I shouldn't be asking it. I don't oh, even no, know. We can, always, uh, we can always we can always. You want to you want to know the. the... <sighs> I think if you would have asked me that question that day in that moment, I probably would have said, let me play. Let's take the chances. You know, now, now I, I like, I like my two legs. Right <laughs> I think I'm a more efficient coach with two legs. I can't lie. <laughs> but but, but you, do you know what went moment, through my mind? This is moment, what... <laughs> yeah, as a player, you know what it's like, like you, you'll do anything to win. So Rib, right? is your scenario this Jay? You can have the leg and play, and you're definitely going to win. But after the finals, we take it. At least let him go to the year-end parties with the leg, though. Okay? Right? 
let them let them hang like with the boys I'm, with the I'm leg. making this a joke like and and i i hope i'm not disrespecting anybody but it, it's like i mean you didn't win a stanley cup either did i we played very long times there's guys that have played long times and put a lot of sweat tears everything into it, it you know and you know to me you know even at the right rate age of 47 i think about winning that ultimate prize i think about what it would be like to for the rest of my life know that deep down inside i did something so special with a group of men and trainers and coaches and and everybody that it would be i can't imagine the feeling of that and you're going to have it the rest of your life and mm-hmm. i i mean this sounds so ridiculous but but i mean how bad do you want it? Like how bad do you want your name etched in that Stanley cup for the, re- for the rest of time? And you know, would you, <laughs> I would rather have my leg just saying, but this question's for you, Jay. <laughs> haven't yeah. played in 10 years. I haven't like, I mean, the, I, you know, what's this is what's sick about my brain is I'm computing this in a short period. It's within a minute. I'm computing like, you know, prosthetic legs now nowadays are are absolutely incredible. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking, you know, okay, moving on. Sorry well, about that. No, I, so the thing is, though, and it, especially you know those who play the sport, it we all dreamt of winning the Stanley Cup since we were five years old, right? And and. So I know what you're saying. And you, you, you played that way too. You do anything for the team. You stick up for any player. You, you would block any shot. You do anything it takes to win as a player. And that's the mentality of what you're going with here on that. Um, I think if you asked me, if, if you said there was a 50, 50 and we were there. Yeah, that's, let's go. Right. Um, you know, and, and in saying that I, I fully understand what you're saying. I still have that desire and that's a big part of why I coach. It is. It's. I. That's. I want that one day, right? Um, right. <laughs> and and for as long as it takes, and as as much work that needs to be put in, that's it's the ultimate goal. Still is. That's since, a, since I was four or five years old. Craig right? asking the real life: Would you rather have your leg or a cup ring? I mean, it. it I mean, it. I guess it really was a potential scenario for you, Jay. Um, yeah. That summer, uh, I, 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 I. You know what? In, in, in all honesty. It wasn't the leg. It was if I let that go and, and kept playing, it would have been my life that, that, you know, I would have died from the infection. So it would have been the leg and no cup or, <laughs> or no life, no cup. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're happy you're here, Jay. We're happy you're here. And I'm sure Buffalo is happy that you're here without a cup too. Although ask the fans, I bet they'd probably sacrifice your life for that cup, Jay. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> passionate, <saying. laughs> passionate sports base. I love it. They would. They might oh, say, hey, "Well, hey, one Jay McKee for one cup." I don't know. I think I can. I, I think I can what, live with that. We crossed the border the other day. All right, we, we played near. We crossed the border, and and it got brought up again. It got it. That staff infection. First thing he says to me, he gets my uh, nexus. Looks at it, he goes, "That staff infection. <laughs> it, it, it will never leave me in this area." <laughs> yeah. So when you, yeah. but I asked you a question before Riv went down that dark path of, would you rather have your leg or a cup ring? But I mean, seriously, when you signed in St. Louis, how did it feel? Did it feel like it was the right move? I mean, and, and the the other side of that question too, when you know, is is how we're negotiating? How close were you to being back with Buffalo that year? Um. 
it, it, it was the right move and it wasn't in the sense that uh, I was overpaid. I'll admit that, that that's, I, I didn't provide what $4 million a year uh, provided a, at that time. So there, there's an added pressure put there that I don't think I, I could have achieved, you know, maybe what was uh, expected or needed. Um, I wanted to stay in Buffalo. Buffalo, I, there was nowhere else I'd rather be. Every player on that team by the time I'd left had come after me. And it just felt like it felt like home. It felt like my spot. Um, you know, all the people, the restaurant owners, the fans, uh, the connection to so many people. I did not want to leave. Um, the reason I say it was the right decision is after I signed that contract, I only played four more years. I had a major uh, pelvic injury my first year in St. Louis, where uh, me and Dustin Brown. Full speed came at each other. We hit each other. As we hit, his knee kind of came up and hit my right my right pelvic bone, and my whole pelvic structure opened up. Right. So for two summers, and that could have happened anytime. Right. That could have happened if I stayed in Buffalo. Could have happened somewhere else. So for two summers, I couldn't train my 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 legs or my abdominals, and that slowed me down to the point that after I left Buffalo, I only played four more years. Had I not had that pelvic injury, you know, I, I retired at 32. I, I may have played uh, my style. I think I could have played till 35, 36, maybe longer. Um, so in saying it was the right move, um, it was it, the offer is way more than Buffalo had offered, and it was other teams were in the ballpark, but you know, it, it was a it was an offer I couldn't for what I provided as a player and for a little bit of life security for myself and family, I couldn't say no. So tell the story about uh, when you busted your finger. So did, didn't you not, did you not break your, you know, the story I'm talking about when you broke your finger, I think you got hit with a slap shot. Did you not? And then you were in, yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're, yeah. You're, we were playing Vancouver. We were playing Vancouver and uh, it was a two on one. It was actually Rory Fitzpatrick uh, coming down on my right side and, I, I put my stick down to, to block the pass, take the passing lane, and he always snaps his passes. And when he when he passed, he, he hit me hard right in the finger. And so I blocked the pass, moved the puck. We go up ice. I'm skating up ice. I'm like, I went, I went stung. And I took my glove off, and my baby finger was like a, a check mark. It went this way and then up. I'm like, that's not good. And so I button hooked to the bench, and uh, I said. Uh, Ray Borelli said, Ray, I think, I think she's broken. And uh, I, so I had just my first game, preseason game in St. Louis after signing with him. Um, I took it right at, at someone in, in Minnesota. Then, then Bugard came at me and uh, took my knee out, tore my MCL. So my first preseason game, my MCL's gone. I'm out six weeks. My first game back was, was this injury, right? I break my finger. So I go into the trainer's room. We look at it. She's like, yeah, she's broken. Put some ice on it real quick, and then maybe we can reset it. So I put some ice on it, and I was so mad. I looked at it again. It was like a little, little check mark. I threw the ice bag right-handed, and then I was like, oh, the finger went even further back. It was like a T, like son of <laughs> So that, that, that was the, uh, how I kicked off my time in St. Louis. And Ray comes in. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I just didn't even think I was mad because I, I was hurt again. Right. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the little V turned into basically an L or a T. 
Oh man, I love that. I love when you told me that the first time. You're like, I threw the ice bag and my finger went even further. It broke yeah. it broke it worse. Broke it, broke it further. Yeah. How's uh, your how's your body in general? You know, you played a long time and yeah. and uh you know, I mean countless, countless shots that you that you yeah. took point blank. How is your body uh feeling right now? Uh surprisingly good. Yeah. No, I uh I, yeah, I went through the you know yeah, everything's good. I feel good. I feel healthy. That's uh, uh, you know injuries to everything. Uh, you know, a few MCLs. The my, my pelvic injury was the worst, but I have no issues, no lingering issues from that. You know, the shoulder, head, nose, finger, everything uh, kind of got banged up over my time. But yeah, I feel pretty good. Feel so, so after St. Louis, you go on and you play your final year in Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you knew going into that year, if maybe you thought it would be your final year, but you went to Pittsburgh, obviously, with the the anticipation of hoping that they'd win a cup, right? Because they were cup champs, were they not, the year before, 08, 09, and you were there, 09, 10? Yeah, there, yeah, there was a couple options of places to go to. And I knew I was getting towards the end of my career. Um, uh, I didn't realize. It. I was always big on rewatching, uh, you know, not the games, but my shifts, right? Like our shifts would be on computers after – the next day and it was that year in pittsburgh where i was like wow i've i've really slowed down like i i when i'm going back for pucks or if i'm getting chased down for an icing you know i i could see that uh, i'm slowing down but i did go there with the hopes you know like craig said to win a cup they just come off winning it and uh, they lost a uh, scuderi and and wanted to bring me in uh, to replace him and the team was pretty similar so i thought that that we would have a good chance so i chose to go there so tell tell me this because and I know I've asked you this before I sent you text messages like rare, you know regularly but you know I ask you about Crosby every now and then he's a mystery to me I'm fascinated by Sidney Crosby Craig and I we he has to come up on this show once a week because I I just I'm 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 just obsessed with this guy and I think it's more the mystery of him than it is the player right it's, what is he like i mean does he ever does he ever kick back and have a couple beers does he like to joke around is he you know i've heard he's the most serious human being on the planet i mean what is this guy like when you draw the curtain back on Sidney crosby um so when i had signed with them and, and thinking you know Sidney Crosby, the name Sidney crosby and meeting him and playing with him um i didn't like him before i played with him um like a lot of fans and, and, and even us, I used to think he whined a lot, right? To the refs, it was like, you know, every time I'm watching a Penguins game, I would always see Crosby, you know, barking at the refs. I'm like, this guy just all the time, right? But what I, did, I didn't realize until I played with him, he yells at the refs no less than, than I did, than you did, than Rivs did. But this is the difference. When you guys or myself were barking at the refs, there wasn't always two cameras watching everywhere we went, right? And it it wasn't news or something for me, the fans to see. They didn't care what we were saying to the refs, but every time he does, they show it, right? So yeah. it kind of built in this preconception that he's, he whines all the time, but he, he doesn't. Um, Sid is uh, – he, he's, he's one of the most quality teammates – people that that I've come across in the game. Absolutely fan. He's the first guy that reached out and even though I was much older than him to welcome me on the team and said, Hey, as soon as you get to town, let's go grab lunch. Love to get to know you a little bit. 
uh, and for a younger player at that time to do that, you know, said, said a lot about him. Um, he's not a guy that, that is going to go out, you know, you, you win a game on Friday and you play Sunday. He's not going to be out, uh, getting at it with some of the younger guys. Uh, he, he took things very seriously, like his, uh, his preparation, taking care of his body. Um, he wanted, he was the best player at the time and he wanted to be the best player. Right, like he had a desire to be the best player. He had the desire to win more cups. Did he feel like um, there was an obligation for him to be the best player, as much as it was like that, that? As much as it was, he wanted to be the best player. I think it's just an internal drive. It's just you know, an, an example. So uh, at the end of that season, I, I had a friend who was a chief eight, uh, chief player officer of the ATP, the, the, the men's tennis, and uh, the Rogers Cup. Um, he uh, I he actually had set up for Sid and I to hit with Federer and Nadal with an hour of court time. So I said to Sid, hey, like Sid loved tennis. And I said, hey, uh, you want to fly out? He was out east. My buddy set this up. And he's like, yeah, I'm all over it. Sure thing. So Sid flew out. Uh, we met in Toronto that night. But this is uh, middle of summer, right? Rogers Cup or later summer. Sid also flew out his strength coach. So he could still train even though he was coming to Toronto for two days, right? So that just shows his level of dedication to taking care of himself, right? And on that, that, on that note, we didn't end up hitting with uh, Nadal and Federer it rained the whole time that we had the hour. Unreal. So did you, so. Did you fly out your uh, strength coach too, Jay? <laughs> uh, no, he was, uh, he was on vacation at that time. So I, uh, yeah, I asked him. He was busy. Yeah, he Family was on it. Your strength coach at the time was, coincidentally enough, he was unemployed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, but it's that, like, how, know, like so so that that that's an internal. I mean, who does that, right? Like that's an in, internal desire. He couldn't even put two days aside just to go do something fun. He brought his guy out, flew him out with him, and and trained that morning and. You know, like it's, but he's like the face of the, the NHL. He was the face of the NHL yeah. for years and years and years and still kind of is with, with a number of other young players right now. He's almost like passing the torch. It's how, how are we not seeing more about his, his daily life, his wife or girlfriend? If he, yeah, we never hear anything. Like, does he, does he not, does on, he have not kids? On social media? He's not on social media. He's got a, a private life. Uh, um, yeah, he's just, he's always kept, he's always kept private. And, you know, he asked about him having beers with the guys. He, he would, but, you know, you know yourself, there's always different levels to when guys get together, what level they get at by the end of the night, right? And, and he always kept himself pretty, uh, at a pretty good level, you know, and, and he, I think he was always just conscious that there's probably always, everywhere he goes, Canada, U.S., anywhere, he's known. And, and he's just, he's just smart, smart kid like that. Doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions and, you know, just is uh, super dedicated to, uh, to the sport of hockey. Do you see a lot of similarities between Crosby, who you played with and McDavid, who you coached? And now that you see McDavid in the league, you never hear anything about him. Like we saw a little glimpse of the inside of his house in some feature, mm-hmm. you know, a couple months ago, but I mean, that's, that's one thing versus the actual knowing the person. It, I, like, incredible similarities incredible All, almost carbon copy yeah no it, it's uh when when they named uh, mcdavid captain in edmonton i know a lot of uh you know people 
probably we were against it because he was so young and you know it's just given the, the the superstar of the scene he's he's he was legit you know he's just a really humble hard-working kid uh those who knew or, or played with or coach mcdavid knew it was just it was a fine decision to make like he's he's uh you know both raised very well you know polite respectful humble incredibly humble um you know so that yeah they're they're very very similar it's interesting because i i mean i the similarities to me are and you you know them you actually know them and then you just you look and you're just like you know you hear nothing about mcdavid you hear nothing about crosby then you hear so much about all these other guys and you're you know like austin matthews i mean we hear about him all the time. He's at an ultimate fight with uh, Bieber. He's hanging out with Bieber's place. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We don't, you don't hear that. I mean, I'm sure Bieber would love to hang out with McDavid. You know what I mean? Yeah, they live more and more of the private lives. Uh, you know, and Sid uh, didn't grow up through the whole social media thing that's going on nowadays. Uh, McDavid is, so, you know, so he's going to be out there a little bit more, given that's the just the societal change that he's been but in, do you but think Sid has like an undercover uh, account? Like, come on. Oh, we're Snapchat buddies, but other than that, I don't see him. Anywhere. Oh, so he's a Snapchat guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I, I, I'm assuming with just very close friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I I didn't I never took Sidney Crosby as a Snapchat kind of guy, to be honest with you. But I guess that's yeah. I, I, from uh, what I understand, that's the safest uh, safest one, isn't it? Uh, if you're just with friends, I'm sure it's uh, it's pretty tame, yeah, it's safe. Uh, all, all you really see from his him is uh, pictures in the woods or in a canoe, and yeah, he's just uh, nothing wild at all. We'll wrap up with this, Jay. I uh, unless Riv has something, else, we do want to ask you about Owen Power and you know what kind of kind of advice yeah. and how difficult it is coming into the NHL as a young kid and the speed and everything. But the last thing I'll say. <laughs> Is you came up last week because Riv starts his uh, starts his car every day and his his iTunes automatically just starts playing, you know, a, the same song every single time he starts the car. Mine is the same thing; drives me nuts. Yeah, right. So his he's like, what is it yeah. with people who don't like Nickelback? They're unbelievable. And I said, you know, it's interesting. I was at a, I was at a, <laughs> I was at a Fourth of July party with uh, at Jay's house back in 0506. It was 2006, I think. And uh, Nickelback was in town later on that month. And I said, Jay, you want to come? Jeff and I are going to go. Whatever. But you're like, no. I just there's something about Nickelback, man. He's like that song, you know, photograph. You know how it just starts. Like it sounds like a guy's trying to crunch. Like look at this photograph. I said, that's, that's, that's sounds like he's taking a dump in that song. Yeah. Just crunching anyway. one out, huh? And that's and that kind yeah, of no, that they're, almost, they're a good band, but that that almost tainted nickelback for me, but not not yeah, enough to, yeah. to completely ruin it. But Riv Riv's not a yeah. fan, I'm not sure. But either yeah. way, that's no, no, they're 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 a good band, good Canadian band, right? That's how that's how you came up last time on the show. All right, Riv, go ahead and ask your own power question. Well, to, uh, we've had you here long enough there, Jay, but uh, we have to ask you about uh, Owen Power. You know, he's, uh, he's played a couple games here um, with the team. Um, if, have you had a chance to watch any of the games? If not, I haven't seen the games with him in, no. no. Yeah. 
what what can you tell us about what's uh, what's happening here in Buffalo with the with this uh, group of young bucks and they seem to be going in the right direction? Yeah, I, I think just a lot of young talent. Uh, you know, I think culture is everything, and and they're bringing in, bringing in good good culture people. Um, Krebs, James Patrick had him out uh, west with the Winnipeg Ice and and just raves about the kid, not only with his ability on the ice, but off the ice is just a fantastic uh, type of leader. Cousins, the way he plays hard, I think he's going to be a leader as well. Uh, Tuck, I mean, yeah, the right it's going in the right direction, no question about that. And, and obviously with power, um, you know, he, he has the ability to be the top defenseman, all-around defenseman in this league and, and potentially the very near future. So I think with uh, – you know, a kid with his kind of skill and ability, um, let him play his game, you know, right now. I think I, I, I would always say to young D, I would, you know, do less early, get used to the speed and the size and, and the, you know, the game out there because it's very different from the college hockey. Uh, but I think this kid is already ready. You know what I mean? He's, so uh, you, said, you said what to do what early? Do less. Just, just move. Less. Keep it simple. Keep that it simple. has not been in that, his repertoire. He and, has and gone that's, in. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Is he's not? He's on a different level already. You know what I yes. mean? And, yes, he is. And uh, where you let him do his thing, um, you know, I think a, a guy like Dalim is different, right? When he first comes in, he's got the ability to do so much, but you, you want to take your time and just feel the league first, and then go from there. But I think power, you know. It, it may not take long for this guy to be a, a, a Norris candidate. You know what I mean? So I think let him, let him do his thing. Let him play his game, you know, for such a big, big guy and his mobility and, and seeing him up ice and uh, sticking around, spending time in the ozone. Yeah. You, you've got to let him do his thing. Well, it's yeah. like Riv said too, you know, let him make mistakes, you know, learn from yeah. the mistakes. Right. I mean, I can't, yeah. I mean, what were, what were your first games like? You must have been, were you like a deer in headlights or what? Uh, yeah, you know, I had Dom Hasek, so I didn't have anything to be worried about. <laughs> yeah, I um, know yeah, my game morphed. I, I, I came out of junior thinking I, I was an offensive player and it, I had to morph pretty quick because I, I, I learned I wasn't going to be that guy at the NHL level. But that's that's not a Delaney or power story for you for sure. <laughs> Well, it, it, no, but I mean, your first game in the NHL as a young kid, I mean, it's, what were you, 18? Were you 18? Yeah, it, yeah I, was, I just came out of junior. We finished our, our junior season and uh, played my first game uh, against Ottawa in the odd, which was a pretty neat opportunity. Um, yeah, that game went well. I, I remember going into it just just telling myself, just have fun. You know, like, I, I, I hadn't signed a contract yet, so there was that concern of I need to play well to earn a contract, but then... I kind of let that go, and before the game, I remember saying, "Just have fun, go there, have fun, play, play hockey." You know, what do you it went mean really you hadn't well. signed a contract yet? You weren't, you didn't have to uh, sign by that point. No, it signed like a, I think it was a PTO, like a player tryout. It, it was some something where I could play one game without being fully under contract. Yeah. Huh. Not sure what the uh, what what the term was. I think I paid two hundred bucks for the game, but <laughs> but so I was there for pregame skate, <clears throat> right and. Uh, I left my, I forgot my extra stick. Apparently you're supposed to go get your extra stick, stick from the bench. So I, uh, I left it on there and the trainers must've told Rob Ray. So after the game, 
Razor, you know, hey, congratulations on your first game. You know, Razor, like when he says something, it's it's straight faced, even if he's joking. And he looks me looks me square in the eyes and says, hey, congratulations on your first game. Now, I'll let you know, uh, you owe me uh, for the fine fund. You left your stick on the bench for free game skate. That's $100. You played your first NHL game. That's $100. You got your first assist. That's $100. So you can give me $300. I looked at him like, I don't, I don't have like Rob, I I don't I think I got two hundred dollars to play this game. You can have that, but my mom and dad are out back here. I can maybe go see if they got a hundo on them. <laughs> <laughs> and you had you hadn't even and you're coming out of junior, fresh out of junior, no signing bonus, nothing. Fifty I, bucks. I a week. was getting like forty five dollars a week, and that just just enough for gas. I had, I didn't have a dime in my name. <laughs> Welcome to the yeah. league, kid. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for your time, man. Good luck in the playoffs. We're going to be watching the Hamilton Bulldogs. Hopefully you guys steamroll your way to the Mem Cup. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. You got yeah, it, Good man. luck, Jay. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator 76 And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.